Campbell. We're glad that you found out you can get up at 5.30 in the morning. You know, every time, every time Coakley play, prays, I'm just sure he's going to be asking God for help with those falls this weekend. I think they're going to need it myself. Folks, uh, if this is your first time in Amen Bible Study, we just want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Hope you'll come back and um, join us. Uh, our, our task every, every week is to try to understand the Bible and to apply it to our lives. And we don't want you just to be experts in, in some part of the Bible. We really want you to sense that your life is growing and changing as a result of studying the Bible. And that comes from looking at the Word, trying to understand what it means. And sometimes it's not easy. I mean, I, I know. I've spent a good part of my life trying to understand it. And some things are just really tough to understand. Some things I, I have never understood yet. But there are a lot of things we can understand. And those things that we understand will give us plenty to work on in our lives. And we want to be sure that whatever we do understand, we get a chance to put it into practice. And one way in which you can do that is get involved in these small groups that Don Riley is offering to form for us. So I would really encourage you to do that. If you're not already in one, just put your name down back there at the back table when you leave. And, you know, if you don't like the small group they're assigning you to, just tell them. You either get another one or, or don't go. Uh, but, <laughs> but give it a shot. <clears throat> and you may be surprised. Some guys you didn't think you were going to like very much, you end up actually benefiting a lot from him. And the reason that small groups are helpful is that uh, actually, what you say about the Bible and about your experience with what the Bible's teaching is far more important than what I say. And if you get in a group and actually think it through and start to articulate and share with one another what's going on, uh, that is the best learning environment of all. And uh, then just listening to other guys talk to you about how the Bible's affecting them in a more uh, intimate environment of just, you know, eight or ten guys is a really great way to learn. So we encourage you to do that. If you have a really difficult schedule week to week, don't let that throw you off. Just tell Don or these guys back here what your schedule is like, and they'll try to match you properly with other guys who have a weird schedule just like you. Hey, guys, this year we get to study the wisdom literature in the Bible, or at least some of the wisdom literature, the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. There is a wisdom book in the New Testament too, James. As a matter of fact, the Gospels have a lot of uh, so-called wisdom in them. But in the Old Testament, it's three books. That's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. If you'll look inside your notebooks, you'll see this schedule that we've got. We're going to take the first semester and study the Proverbs. I wish we had more time, but if we're going to study the wisdom literature, we're going to have to get on with it because there are, there are lots of things to study. But we're going to study the Proverbs in the first part of the year. You see that we'll start off with those first nine chapters which in some ways are kind of the prologue to all the Proverbs. We'll be looking at that these next five weeks. And then we'll get into some themes that are in Proverbs. And we'll just select Proverbs as we go through and discuss these themes. And you see that we have several all-star teachers there uh, this fall. Uh, and then in the uh, next semester, you'll see that we're going to deal with Job and Ecclesiastes. And I know uh, some of you uh, probably have not read all the way through Job. And uh, you can see we're going to run through parts of it pretty quickly ourselves. And some of you may feel completely lost when it comes to Ecclesiastes. You say, what in the world is Ecclesiastes about? Never even read the book. Well, what we want to do is we want to make these books your friends because uh, they are God's uh, doorway into a wise life. And 
If you wonder why we need to do this, let me just try to explain the role of wisdom in the Bible to you so that we can see why we so desperately need it. In the scriptures, in terms of guidance for our lives, we have what's known as the law. And the preeminent expression of the law would be the Ten Commandments. The first four having to do with our relationship with God and the latter six having to do with our relationship with our neighbor. If you look in Exodus 20, and some of you were here when we studied the book of Exodus, you remember that you have the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and then you have what's called case law or casuistry law that follows that. So you have certain instances to which the Ten Commandments are applied. That's very helpful. You have the same thing in our Constitution. We're given a Constitution, we're given statute law, and then we're given some case law. And that's what all those books in the library in a lawyer's office are all about. That's all case law. And they research the cases before them, the precedents before them. Well, God's law is the same way. We have the law and we have case law. So, for example, we know that we shouldn't steal. Uh, we know that we shouldn't lie, bear false witness. Uh, we know that we shouldn't commit adultery. But then there's what's called, uh, well, then, then also you have the prophets, of course. And the prophets are the ones who, who, they're Bible thumpers. They take the Bible and they preach it to their own generation. And so after the law was given, for several centuries, you had prophets who would take the law and preach it to their own day. Actually, this is exactly what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. He just said, you've heard that it was said, uh, this, that, and the other. Well, I tell you this. So he's taking the law and he's applying it to his own day. He was the prophet of the prophets. So you have the law that is the absolute, moral, revealed will of God. You have the prophets who preach it and apply it. And, of course, the prophets in the Bible do that infallibly, much unlike our teacher at Amen. And then, thirdly, you have wisdom. Now, why do you need wisdom? <clears throat> well, the reason you need wisdom is that there are a lot of things that slip through the cracks of the law. The law doesn't directly address everything. Now, let me give you an example. Does the law tell you who your friends should be? No. Ten Commandments doesn't tell me that. Case law doesn't tell me that. Prophets didn't tell me that either. But the Proverbs do. <laughs> there's, a, there's a form of wisdom about how, who your closest associates are. Does the law uh, tell you what you should do with criticism? Think about it. No. Nowhere in the law are you told how to handle criticism, but in the Proverbs you are. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, we're to submit to a rebuke and to criticism. The, the wisdom in Proverbs tells us that. So Proverbs is the fine uh, mesh that catches things that fall through the grid of the law. And we need wisdom. Think about our own day. Uh, we've got a war in Iraq. We need wisdom to know when to put troops in, when to pull them out, how to prosecute that war. We need wisdom, don't we, when it comes to Iran and how to handle someone who's rattling their saber over there and threatening to create nuclear weapons. We need wisdom with North Korea. We need wisdom with Pakistan right now and Afghanistan. We certainly need wisdom in our, on Wall Street. What do you do with a plunging uh, stock market? What do you do with a moribund uh, economy? Uh, we need wisdom for voters, don't we? Who in the world do we vote for? You have to listen very carefully. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you to vote for this person or that person. You have to use wisdom. So even in our political realm, we see that we need, we desperately need wisdom. And you know what I'm talking about. You can tell when someone has wisdom. You need wisdom. You need wisdom to know when to take a new job. 
There's nothing in the Bible that tells you when to take another job. You need wisdom to know whether to ask the boss for a raise. There's nothing in the law uh, of Christ or the law of the Old Testament that will tell you whether to do that or not. You need wisdom whether you should ask her to marry you or not, don't you? Hmm. There's nothing in the Bible except that she should be a fellow believer, uh, but getting it any finer tune than that requires a lot of wisdom. You need wisdom whether to give that adult child of yours a piece of advice that's on your mind right now. <laughs> you better have wisdom to know what you're doing. This is where wisdom lives, and it's what we need in order to be good daily decision makers in our private life, our family life, our work life, our community life, our church life, and as world citizens. You've got to have wisdom. That's the reason we want to study the wisdom literature of the Bible, because when we do, what we're promised is if we apply our mind to it, God is going to give us wisdom. And this is for everybody. We're going to see it in the scriptures. This is not just for the really smart people. It's not for the people who just have keen insight and perception. This is for the little child on the street. As a matter of fact, Proverbs, we believe, was written for children. And you'll see early on in the first nine chapters that the author, Solomon, is saying over and over again, now, my son, listen to me. So this, it's believed by some scholars that this was actually the royal book that was taught to royalty to the children of the king. And he, he says to his children over and over again, here are the things you need to know in life. And what a rich wealth of wisdom it is indeed. Because as you know, Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth, certainly before the time of Christ. Well, let's, let's dig in. And we're going we're gonna to spend today uh, surveying chapter 1. And don't let these notes uh, and all these blanks and everything else throw you off or intimidate you. Listen, if you don't get all the blanks, forget it. Just listen and take to heart what you find helpful. What I would suggest you concentrate on in your note keeping are the things that are most useful to you. And just circle them so that you'll come back to them. And if you're in a small group, especially, you'll be able to come back to them and discuss them with your friends in that group. Or if you're not in a group and you go off and privately think about it, you can come back to those ideas and build on them. So as we go through, everything won't hit you Equal, is equally significant. That's not because it's not equally true in the Bible, but it's just not equally relevant in this moment in your life. So as you take your notes, be sure that you're, you're kind of setting your own agenda with the things that you, uh, you note in your, on your pages there. Well, let's take a look at Proverbs 1, and we'll read the chapter through, and then we'd like to make some comments about it. Let's look at it. Proverbs 1. This is page 973 on your Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible. If you don't have a Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible, you really need one. Because <laughs> some of you guys, you don't know where Ecclesiastes is. You're going to have to have me give you the page number. <laughs> so you don't want a Bible that has the wrong pages on it. You'll be over there in Malachi. You, know, you won't even know what we're talking about. Okay, Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, 
but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie and wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such it is, is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. All right. First thing we want to see is in those first seven verses, we are learning that God gives wisdom to His people. God gives wisdom to His people. Now in Jeremiah 18, 18, you'll find kind of an obscure little verse there that mentions the law and the word of the prophets and the counsel of the wise together. They are all methods of God revealing His will to us. And that's what we want to see, that it's the law, the prophets, and wisdom together. It's all God's gift to us. He speaks to us, we learn in verse 1. And how does He speak to us? He speaks to us through Proverbs. First word there is Proverbs. The word in Hebrew you see there, we'll put it in English letters, is mashal. And a mashal, a proverb, is simply a sage pronouncement. It's just a wise pronouncement. And through the scriptures, there are different proverbs. You'll find proverbs in the historical books of the Bible. And they're just wise pronouncements, and they come in different forms. But the form that you'll find in Proverbs, most typically in Solomon's Proverbs, is a poetic form. It usually has, it's one sentence in two lines. 
And the two lines have, are three plus three. That's the reason I put it there in parentheses. It's three Hebrew words and then three Hebrew words. And it's usually either a comparison or a contrast. And we could, we could look at this as an example. Uh, if you turn to chapter uh, 10, where the Proverbs of Solomon begin. In verse 3 of chapter 10, it says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. That's called a contrast. So you have roughly three Hebrew words at the top of the line, three Hebrew words at the bottom of the line, and it's a, it is a contrast. Same thing with the next one. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. There's a contrast. And here's a, here's a companion. Look, if you look at verse 22 on the next page, down at the bottom of page 991, Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. There's a companion couplet saying the same thing in a different way. Now, that's a typical poetic form. This is also called a poetic book along with Psalms and some others. So in this case, the Proverbs are put into poetic form and that, friends, you can guess what the reason for that is. It's memorable. It's just like when we sing a hymn, how often if you've grown up in, in a tradition singing songs or hymns, those come back to you. And you can remember those better than Bible verses. Why? They're in rhythm. They rhyme in English. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Uh, but it, it rhymes, it's in rhythm, and it has a musical tune to it. So when you're teaching your children, whatever you can put in, in rhyme or in sort of a pithy saying is more memorable. So you find that to be true with the Proverbs because it is a library of wisdom that through the years we're to be storing up in our minds. So he speaks to us through the Proverbs. Now, what we need to realize, if we can just take a little sidebar here, to discuss for just a moment the difference between proverbial wisdom and reflective wisdom. And in your notebooks on this chart where we show what we're going to be studying, you'll notice the first semester is proverbial wisdom and the second semester is reflective wisdom. Here's the difference. Proverbial wisdom is wisdom that is what we call didactic or teaching wisdom. And it's pretty straightforward. It gives us a maxim by which we can live life. Let me, let me give you an example. A generous man, says Solomon, will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, there's a good truth. A generous man, generally speaking, is going to prosper. Here's another one that's very familiar to you. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, there's a nice maxim. There's a nice piece of proverbial wisdom. That generally speaking, if you train a child the way he should be trained, that when he's old, he will not turn away from it. Here's another one. Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. I find that generally to be true. Here's another one. This is proverbial wisdom. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. That's nice. Sometimes it's the man who doesn't say anything that stays out of trouble. That's all he's saying. And, you know, if we're fools, nobody's going to know it if we don't open our mouths. Uh, those, that kind of wisdom is proverbial wisdom. And this is what we want to know and to be able to pass on to the next generation, that 
God is at work in a practical way in our lives, and we're going to see these things actually work 95% of the time. 95% of the time. But there's a 5%. His name is Job. And, and, and it, you, you can't really explain Job, who has total disaster in his life. And although his friends try, as we shall see, they cannot really put their finger on the reason for it. And if you see here in this proverb that I just read, humility and fear of the Lord will bring wealth and honor and life. Job had no wealth. He had no honor. And his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you know, it was, life was not happy, but he was humble and he feared the Lord. And then it says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue will keep himself from calamity. Job didn't keep himself from calamity and he was famous for guarding his mouth. So in some of the cases, proverbial wisdom seems just to go haywire. It doesn't seem to work. This is why we need reflective wisdom. And so Job answers the question of an enigma of inexplicable calamities. It's the problem of unexplainable problems. How do you explain them? <laughs> They're unexplainable. What does God have to say to this? He has something to say. It's more nuanced. It's deeper. And I tell you what, every one of us needs this. Because 5% of the time, you can make no sense out of what's going on. There seems to be no connection between your behavior and the outcome on the other end of the equation. And we need reflective wisdom. So you notice I put here that Proverbs is practical life management. And that's what, that's what it is. It works 95% of the time. These are general life principles. If you, if you train up a child the way he shall go, when he is old, he'll not depart from it. But some of us have trained up our children the way they should go, and they're old and they departed from it. Explain that. 5% of the time. That's the way it works. So the Proverbs are the observations of wise men. The observations of wise men. And you and I would be well advised if we would make similar observations and draw similar conclusions, but realize that some things need to be reflected upon, including calamities that have no apparent cause in and of ourselves. And then also in Ecclesiastes, we'll be facing another 5% problem, and that's the seemingly meaningless, meaninglessness and brevity of life. And uh, I don't know how you feel, those of you who are over 50 years of age, but I noticed when I turned 50... I started just thinking about the fact I'm not going to be here a whole while longer. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind. <laughs> but, but when you get to be 50, it starts to cross your mind. And the reason it crosses your mind is because it's crossing your back and your neck. And you know, it's crossing every part of your body. And it's shouting at you, hey, you're old. And it makes you start to think. Now, what did I do all that work for? What did I save all that money for? What did I do all that education for? Why did I read all those books? <laughs> you know, my library is just going to go to somebody else's library. You know, so what's the use? Why did I, why did I take all that time? I should have just been out there eating, drinking, and being merry, you know? And those questions cross our minds. And some of you who are particularly, uh, particularly troublesome start having those thoughts before 50. And so we want to talk to you from Ecclesiastes about the meaningfulness 
of a seemingly meaningless life in view of death. There's your 5%. So you have these problems, these enigmas that come that require deep reflective wisdom, and we'll get to that second semester. We just want to start with the 95%. Let's start with the, the God-given Proverbs, the proverbial wisdom for life, and let's, let's put it into practice. And let's, let's take every week and take the things that we learn and let's actually put them into practice because eventually, here's what happens with wisdom. Here's what you want wisdom to do in your life. You want wisdom to cease to be a series of maxims and you want it to be a life so that actually proverbial wisdom starts to come out of you as you make your own observations in life, as you make your own judgments about what's important, as you make your own assessment about what's meaningful and what's not meaningful. You become a wise man and you can do this by the Spirit of God. Because he imparts wisdom. Wisdom is what we call a communicable attribute of God. You know, there are incommunicable attributes of God, like infinity. You're never going to achieve that. Eternity. You know, he's always been. You weren't always. You're going to be, but you weren't always in the past. God has eternity and infinity. He's unchangeable. You're fickle as they come. So you're always going to change. But... God has incommunicable attributes, but he has communicable attributes, and wisdom is one of them. And he's pleased to give it to those who want it. So we want to become the proverbial fountain of wisdom ourselves. All right, so he speaks to us. He speaks to us through these proverbs, and there are different types of wisdom, and proverbial wisdom is one particular type. Now, he also does it through wise people. We've just seen this. Solomon wanted wisdom, and God gave it to him. Uh, for example, uh, well, we'll come to Solomon in just a moment. But he does it through wise people. Before we talk about Solomon, let me make this comment. We'll do this quickly. But there, there is general wisdom being offered all over the world. You can gain wisdom from someone who believes uh, in, in religious principles far different from yours. Anyone who's lived life, especially if they're old, especially if they've been taking note of things, they can be very wise there, you know, Chairman Mao even had some very wise things to say. Uh, you, can, you can look at some of the ancient, uh, the, the Buddha. There are some wise things that come from the Buddha. You can look in the history uh, of ancient civilizations, and we actually have uh, certain texts of their proverbs. For example, I put a, a few of them here. Uh, in the Bible, you have references to these, and I put a few of those Bible references there from 1 Kings and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, referring to the, the wise people of Egypt and Mesopotamia, Babylon and Assyria, and certainly the wise men in Matthew 2 who came to see the baby Jesus. They, they, weren't, they weren't Jewish people. They were wise men from the east. But in Egypt, going all the way back to the third millennium, we have the teaching of this man named Tehotep. And here was a proverb that he gave on how to dine with a superior. Take what he may give when it is set before thy nose. Do not pierce him with many stares. Laugh after he laughs, and it will be very pleasing to his heart. <laughs> that advice is 4,500 years old. Laugh at the boss's jokes. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> There's nothing new in that. We've been doing that for 5,000 years. And so you can get wisdom from people all over the place. And if you're a wise man, you'll be listening carefully to wherever you can get wisdom. I tell our kids who go off to college and university, uh, who, many of whom are very strong Christians, 
and they'll be going off to universities that, that have uh, religion departments and philosophy departments that are going to be absolutely contrary in worldview uh, to these Christian students of ours. And I say to them regularly, look, uh, certainly you're going to have to read more than everybody else because you're going to be challenged from the worldview of your professors. But for heaven's sakes, don't hold your professors in contempt. Sit at their feet and learn from them. They know a whole lot more about biology than you know. They hold, know a whole lot more about philosophy than you know. They know a whole lot more about religion than you know. Listen to them and learn from them and take notes and learn to glean wisdom from people with whom you disagree. And the same will be true of every one of us. If we want to be wise people, we'll learn from wherever God gives it. Then you have uh, also in Egypt uh, a man named Amenemope in uh, the 14th century or 13th century B.C., and it's very interesting that we caught uh, some of his material being very similar to Proverbs 22, 7 through 23, 14. So what we believe has happened is that the author of the Proverbs has taken Proverbs from Egypt or taken Proverbs from Babylon and brought them into the Word of God. So the Word of God contains wisdom that came from non-believers. You'll find the same thing with the Apostle Paul. He's very well read in the cynics, very well read in the philosophers of his own day, and he'll quote them, and they end up in your Bible. Some of his ethics are just very good Stoic ethics, and he quotes them, brings them into the Bible. Now, there's a filter and a grid that he's using, but he's paying attention to God's natural world and the people in it. And certainly you find the same thing from the Sumerian Proverbs. This will be from Mesopotamia, areas like Iraq and Saudi Arabia and so on. Um, and here's, here's a proverb that we have from the second, early second millennium. Build like a lord, go about like a slave. Build like a slave, go about like a lord. Build a big house, wear a pretty thin suit. Build a smaller house, wear some fancy clothes. <laughs> That's what he's basically saying. So you can overspend on your house is what they're saying. You know, this is... 4,000 years ago. Now, obviously, when Solomon was writing his Proverbs, he's aware of all this. You'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 4, then 1 Kings chapter 10 especially, when God gave Solomon wisdom, that people from all over the world came to listen to his Proverbs. This was common. People would go to another king's court and discuss the Proverbs and the wisdom and the things they had learned, and they, their academics would exchange ideas. When Solomon was king, the whole, he was the Harvard of all the East, Near Eastern world. And everybody came to Solomon's palace to listen to the tremendous wisdom that God had given him. Now, you want to know where that came from? You could turn back to 1 Kings 3 and you'll find it out. He has a dream as a young king. And in the dream, the Lord says to him, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. Ooh. You know, rub the genie and rub the bottle and the genie comes out and promises you anything you want. He has a dream that the living God tells him, whatever you want, Solomon. Just think how you'd be tempted to ask for wealth and women and, you know, prosperity and, a, you know, a, 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 a thousand-year dynasty or whatever would come to mind. Solomon says, Lord, I need wisdom. I'm like a child. I don't know how to go in and go out. God was very pleased with that and gave him wisdom indeed and also, of course, gave him the riches and the women and all the rest. Too many women, as a matter of fact, got him in trouble. But God was very pleased that Solomon wanted wisdom. And right after that, you remember, he was tested. Two prostitutes 
uh, came to see him. And one said, well, I had a baby, and this other one had a baby, and hers died, and now she's claiming to have my baby. And they both were claiming one baby. Remember what he said? Let's take the baby and divide it in half, and we'll give each a half. And one woman said, well, that sounds fair. <laughs> and the other woman said, oh, no, 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 I'll let her have the baby. Solomon said, she's the mother. Now, that's called wisdom. And Solomon had great wisdom because he wanted it from God. And you'll find in Solomon's wisdom some distinctives. And I've listed a few of them here. First of all, God is creator and ruler. In Solomon's Proverbs, you'll find something you will not find in the Sumerian Proverbs. You'll not find in the Proverbs of Ammonemope or any of the others. He says, you know, the lot will be thrown in the lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. That is, God is sovereign. God is creator and ruler over all the earth. So all wisdom is coming from God who is a sovereign ruler. He also sought wisdom from God, not from other men. He really applied himself directly to the Lord and learned from him. That's what we've got to do. Lord, give me wisdom. Talk to him about it. You want wisdom for a decision? Ask him. I mean, James says, you want wisdom? Ask him for it. We often don't have wisdom, says James, because we flatly don't ask. So Solomon was one who asked. And then he sought wisdom more than anything else in life. He treasured it. And the only way we're going to get wisdom and discernment is if it's more important to you than money. If it's more important to you than sex. I know that's a stretch. But, <laughs> I mean, some of you are going, huh? Something more important than sex? Can't imagine that. Well, here it is. Wisdom. And it's the only way you'll get it. If you have anything else that's more important in your life, you won't get wisdom. Because the only way you get it is if it's the chief prize. And then others came to hear him. Others will come to hear you too. I'm telling you, that's what happens. When you apply yourself to wisdom, you become a man of wisdom, others will live part of their lives off of the fumes of your life. Now, his word gives wisdom. We see this, uh, that God speaks to us through his proverbs, through wise people, and his word gives us wisdom. And you can see of what this wisdom consists. The word wisdom, and once again, I put it there for you in Hebrew, and if you pronounce that, that would be chakmah. That H is a hard H, chakmah. That's wisdom. And you can get a great definition of it right there on page 973. If you look at the bottom of that page in the footnote uh, on, on wisdom, uh, this is what it says. It says that wisdom generally means masterful understanding, skill, or expertise. In biblical texts outside of Proverbs, the term hakma is used of technical and artistic skills, of the arts of magic, of government, of diplomacy, and of war. Some have the wisdom or skill to judge and to separate the guilty from the community and so to rule a nation. Wisdom also endows rulers with the ability to handle situations masterfully, and so on. And Solomon even included scientific knowledge in wisdom. So wisdom is all those things. Could, if you're a good architect or a good builder, that's a form of wisdom. Here's the way J.I. Packer puts it. I didn't put this in, in your notes here, but this is what he says. Wisdom consists of choosing the best means to accomplish the best ends. I really like that. Wisdom consists of choosing the best means to accomplish the best ends. 
If you think about a wise man, he's constantly doing that. He's got his eye on the most important ends, the most important goals, the most important priorities, and then he chooses the best means to get there. He doesn't look for shortcuts. He doesn't look for cheap substitutes. He's looking for the best means to accomplish the most important ends. I think Packer's got a point. But that's what chakma is. Now, of what does it consist in this text? Well, you'll see that we are given Proverbs for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. And I put a bunch of Hebrew words there. We're not going to look at those today. We don't have time. But you can see that wisdom consists of many things, insight, knowledge, teaching, instruction, reproof. It consists of many modes of taking in information. And secondly, you'll notice that it consists of a disciplined life. So wisdom is not just taking in information and developing insight. It's actually living a different kind of life. This is extremely important. And for example, you'll find it in in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? He says, here's what a wise man is like. He takes what I'm saying and he puts it into practice. Let me tell you what a foolish man is like. He hears what I'm saying and he doesn't put it into practice. So the difference between the wise and the fool is not that they don't have good educations. Both of them have good educations, as we would think of education. But one of them has put it into practice. And he says, here's the analogy. One has built his life on the sand. And one has built a foundation for that house. So when the storms come, that house still stands. There's the wise person. And the foolish person is the one who just builds it on a slab. And all you have to do is to look at Houston and the coast, look at Galveston and Galveston Island, and there are a few buildings standing. Would you notice a few things about those buildings? First of all, they had foundations. They had pilings that went down. Duh. You put a house on a coast like that and get an eight, uh, you know, a 10-foot surge, you'd be in trouble. That house is going bye-bye. And the same thing with a life. If you don't drill down, and that means put into practice the wisdom that we're being given, you're going to blow away when the big trials come, especially the trial at the very end of history. So it's a disciplined life. And then notice thirdly that it leads to teaching. And you pick this up when he says, verse 4, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. So we're the ones who can teach the simple-minded. We're the ones who can teach the young. And to be simple simply means this, that you're naive, uh, you're a little bit unrooted, ungrounded. Uh, you're you're uh, gullible. Uh, you can be influenced. And we're the ones who through wisdom will teach those who are not yet, don't have an anchor, don't have pilings, don't have a foundation. And we're also the ones who teach the young. And for those of you who have young children at home, uh, for God's sake, literally, for the kingdom's sake, you are to understand you are the main teacher for your children. All this is sort of a household setting and reminds us of how important the household, the family is for teaching wisdom to our children. So you can see it's understanding, it's then putting it into practice, and then it's becoming a teacher. So every one of us, even this semester, as we learn wisdom, we ought to be expecting there are going to come moments this very semester when it's going to be required of us to share what we know. 
and to share wisdom into a situation that we've learned from the Word of God because that's the way wisdom works. You hear it and understand it, you put it into practice, and then you influence other people. That's what a wise life is. Now, notice C, we must listen to his word. He says, let the wise listen. And it's the word from which we get the Hebrew word Shema. You remember the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's what the word Shema means. It means listen. And here's how we listen to his word. First of all, we recognize our need. We recognize that we need to add to our learning. We're never home. We're never there yet. We're never fully wise. We're always growing. And then secondly, we learn to interpret. He said, let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, those sayings and riddles of the wise. And those references there are places where you'll see an example of each of those, Proverbs, parables, sayings, and riddles. But we must learn to interpret them. So we know, we come here, amen, Bible study, we're saying, Lord, the reason I'm here, I'm not looking for another thrill. It's not a rock concert. It's not a great movie. It's just some guy who's naturally pretty boring just going through the Bible. But I know I need to learn. I need to learn wisdom. And I need to learn how to interpret these parables. I want to learn how to do that. And that's what Solomon is saying to his own children. Look, listen, know that you have the need, and learn how to interpret. We'll learn how to do that. But then look at the real key here. Solomon busts out here in verse 7 and gives us the key to the universe, the key to all learning, the key to all wisdom. Here it is, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it's the beginning in two ways. First of all, it's the most important element in knowledge. You can have all kinds of information, all kinds of data, but if you want real knowledge, you'll have to fear the Lord. And it's also the beginning in another way. It's the first step because you won't retain or understand anything of God's wisdom unless you fear Him and reverence Him. This just means to reverence God, to worship Him, to acknowledge that He is great, He is powerful, He is awesome. He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we understand that He is awesome. And this is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what's really interesting here is that he doesn't say the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. You notice that? He says the fear of the Lord. What's the difference? God, uh, in the English, is a translation of the word for God in Hebrew, Elohim, or El. So the word El, and you find E-L at the end of a lot of names, don't you? That's because they, their name has to do with God, El, or Elohim in the plural, which means just the plurality of His majesty. But that is a word that would have been used by other religions for their perception of who God is. They would speak of God as El or some parallel to that also. Allah, for example, in Arabic, is very close to El. What Solomon is saying to his son is that there is one God. He is above all others in such a way that the other gods actually aren't gods at all. They're counterfeits and pretenders. There's one God, and His name is Yahweh. He's the God who appeared to Moses, your father, at the burning bush. And the fear of Yahweh, that's the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. 
So you see there's a distinctly religious comment being made here. Solomon is going from just simply sharing in the wisdom of all the wise people of the world, and now he's fine-tuning it and saying that wisdom is a truly religious idea. It, it involves your piety and your devotion to the one true and living God revealed in the Scriptures. And now, of course, we know that Jesus Christ, he is described in Colossians 2, is the summation of all the wisdom of, of God. And you can't have wisdom without looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now the, he is the giver of all wisdom. And Solomon saying that to his son, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Now, let's move on quickly. and We, we only have uh, eight or nine minutes here to finish up, but let's look at these two major sections. First of all, verses 8 through 19 shows us that having seen what wisdom is and how we're to get it through understanding, putting it into practice, fearing the Lord, all the rest, teaching others, we've got to understand that we're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged with people trying to pull you away from wisdom every day of your life, every hour of your life. There's going to be some enticement to pull you away from wisdom. And Solomon's saying to his son, look, others are going to come to you. It's, it's the gang. He's saying they're going to be gangs. And gangs are going to come to you and say, hey, come, come, come with us and we'll go rob people and take their money and we'll just kill them if we need to and we'll all live out of the same purse. We'll have a little commune here. We'll have a communistic way of life. We'll share openly with each other. Yeah, right, uh-huh. And, uh, and they make all these false promises. We'll have a great life. We'll plunder other people. And you know what? You have those invitations weekly. The gang mentality. Come and do it the way we do it. Oh, we're all in it together. Everybody says it's all right. It's the same gang mentality which is constantly enticing you away from what God is revealing in His Word as real wisdom through Jesus Christ. And the gang mentality is always the same. Come on, we'll help you, we'll help you live a really great life. Do it this way. Just shade your expense account this way. Cheat on your taxes this way. Churn that account this way. Fill out this form this way. Everybody does it this way. It'll be easier for you, and we'll all be in it together. And that's exactly the offer that's being made to Solomon's kids. And he's saying, don't for a minute go along with them. You would be surrendering your wisdom. You'd be surrendering the wisdom of, of Yahweh if you did that, and you'll find you have the same challenges. So here's the way we face it. Verse 8 and 9, we must recognize what God has given us. And what He has given you is a garland to grace your head and a chain that's around your neck. He has dignified you with wisdom. Don't surrender your garland for some gang. And gangs end up in country clubs. I'm not talking about gangs on the street. I'm talking about your gangs. Gangs end up in businesses and in professional communities and in neighborhoods that take us away from wisdom. Recognize what God has given you by wisdom, a garland around your head. Secondly, we must reject the flashy promises of fools. They say, we'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. We'll share a common purse. Right. And thirdly, we must avoid the destiny of fools. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. They'll be hoisted on their own petard. And you're aware of these things. You know that you've already been given a garland. You know that these are flashy, foolish promises. And you do not want to go where they're going. Now lastly and thirdly, let's notice that wisdom calls and warns us all. 
It says in the text here, wisdom, wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. Wisdom is not just for the royal family. It's not just for the people with doctorate, uh, doctorates, PhDs. It's not just for people who have high IQs. The message goes out to us all. The message goes out to us all. She says, in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. So it goes to you. It goes to me. It goes to little children. It goes to the old. It goes to people who just became Christians. It goes to people who have been Christians for 50 years. It goes to people who have thought about wisdom and people who haven't. It goes to everyone who will listen. It's universal. B, secondly, notice the fool is responsible for his own foolishness. She says, you rejected me when I called. You ignored my advice. You would not accept my rebuke. The reason we're foolish is because we wanted to be foolish. It's not because wisdom wasn't available to us. Every one of us has had wisdom all around us. And when we've gotten into foolish trouble, it's because we were foolish. And we just need to take responsibility for our own foolish decisions. That we went with the gang mentality. We were looking for the quick buck instead of building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're completely responsible for it. We're not going to grow unless we acknowledge that. Notice in verse 22, this is really interesting. What Solomon gives us here are three types of fools. Aren't you glad? There's a taxonomy to foolishness. <laughs> there, there are different kinds. of. You could be one kind of fool. You can be worse than a fool than a fool. Look at verse 22. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? This is called the simpleton or what I call the airhead. This person uh, is one who is aimless, naive, drifting, irresponsible, willful, just ah, da, 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 yeah. It's used 14 times in Proverbs, and it's used right here. How long will you simple ones continue to be simple and just rootless and not knowing where you're going? That's a foolish person, an airhead. But notice the next line. He says, how long will mockers delight in mockery? Look at the third line. And fools hate knowledge. Who are these fools? They're what I call ironheads. That's what my dad used to call me. Hey, Ironhead. <laughs> and these are Ironheads, and there are three types of them. The one here is the Kesil, used 67 times in Proverbs, which just means dull, obstinate, smug, overly confident. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I know. You know you've heard your, you had your children tell you, don't tell me, Dad. I know what I'm doing. I don't need any advice. Don't bother. Someone who doesn't want advice Who's dull, who's, who's dull and obstinate and smug and overly confident. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Crash, bang. <laughs> but he'll be fine. That's the fool. Ironhead. And then the mocker in that second line is what I call a hothead. And it's, the Hebrew there is lates. And it's used 14 times in Proverbs. He is incorrigible. He's a troublemaker. He's a scoffer and a scorner. And he's very proud. And he actually attacks the wisdom of God verbally. So we go from someone who's just kind of a drifter to someone who's dull and obstinate uh, and you know, uh, who, who can't take advice to someone who actually scorns the wisdom of God. They're all there, and we'll be studying them as time goes on. Now, there are two results. You'll notice in verse 23 that she says, I'm not going to speak anymore. I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you, but no longer. So when we spurn wisdom, finally wisdom dries up. We can't even hear it anymore. And notice, secondly, that wisdom can no longer help us. And she just says, you're going to have calamity, and I want you to know you're not going to destroy wisdom. Wisdom will laugh at you. It's kind of like in Psalms 2, 
when we're supposed to be bowing before the king and he says, tremble all the earth. And he, he says that, that God laughs at all of his enemies. You can't touch him and you can't touch or destroy wisdom. But you will no longer have the help of wisdom. But then notice lastly, we got one minute left and let's take one minute to luxuriate in verse 33. Although the fool is responsible for his foolishness and there will be some incredibly difficult results, consequences, look at the wise. And the wise are those who listen to him. Whoever listens to me, to wisdom, will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And the word fear there is the word for calamity. So without calamity, those who really trust in the Lord who really want Him to be their direction, who really want His wisdom for practical, everyday decisions, who want to be making family decisions, marriage decisions, business decisions, based on the inexhaustible wisdom of God. They will live lives at ease. They will sleep at night. They will have no fear of harm. They will know that they're protected and that their destiny is one day glorious indeed. And the little garland around our head and the necklace around our neck will be exchanged for a mighty kingdom that no mind can conceive. That's the destiny of those who apply themselves to wisdom. And that's the reason we'll apply our minds to wisdom in these months together. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the Proverbs. And as we study them this fall, we pray that we will learn how to deal with our neighbor, how to deal with criticism, how to control our speech, how to deal with our emotions, how to deal with our families, how to rear our children, how to make business deals that are really according to your will and deeply wise, and how to manage all of our affairs, our time and our money, how to handle the poor around us, how to live in society, how to promote the welfare of our nation. All of these things, Lord, we pray that you will teach us as men who would be wise. Fill us with your spirit. May Jesus Christ be praised this morning in our lives. And we ask it all in his precious name. Amen. See you wise next week. <laughs>